Good morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in the battle and routed foreign armies. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So if you were paying attention to our scripture verse here in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, the author says, I do not have time to tell you about Samson and Jephthah and all these characters in the book of Judges. Then he goes on to tell you about those characters in the book of Judges. Um, Well, I do have time to tell you about Samson this morning. (laughs) And I've been looking forward to it, so you better watch out. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds? Would your spirit be among us? Through your word, God, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight? And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you, have you ever found yourself in a cycle in life where past mistakes seem to be playing on repeat? One of my favorite Bible verses in junior high was Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. For obvious reasons, as a junior high boy, I just gravitated towards that verse. I, you know, I had a real heart for memorizing scripture at that age. (laughs) So ironically and sadly... The principle embedded in that proverb is one that I have lived out in my own life on numerous occasions. Instead of learning from past mistakes, I've just repeated them again and again, over and over. I have run out of gas in my truck driving around Bloomington just seeing if I can make one more short trip before it gets down to E. I've run out of gas twice doing that, going back and forth to Kroger or to work. It's a three-mile drive, you know. It's, real, it's really easy to run out of gas. Uh, another mistake that I repeated, when I was in college, I was on the track and field team, and I found that the more I ran and practiced, the better I would do in meets. And so as a motivated athlete, I just went for it. Uh, the only problem is if I ran too much, I would get a little crack in the bone in my shin, a stress fracture. I had four of those in four years. Folks, lessons learned the hard way. Something just didn't register. As a dog returns to its vomit, so have I to my folly. Uh, I wonder if you've been there. Are there stories you could tell like that in your own life? I'm sure we all have them. Times where when it came to us learning a lesson that we needed to learn to change our way, something just wasn't clicking. You heard John last week begin teaching on these characters in the book of Judges. We've been in this series on Hebrews chapter 11. 
in the footsteps of faith. And in the book of Judges, I think the people of Israel put that dynamic of repeated mistakes over and over again on display. And so if you heard John's message last week, the book of Judges covers this 300-year period after the Israelites come into the promised land, Canaan, up until they receive their first king, and that was about 1000 B.C. And so if you're thinking about the history of the people of Israel, you know that Joshua, the book of Joshua, precedes Judges, and that's when the people of Israel, they were largely a faithful people. They came into the promised land, they settled in, they chose to follow God, but then Judges, here we go, it's a roller coaster ride, the people of Israel living out their faith. And so they go through cycles of this pattern that we call the Judges cycle. Check it out here on the screen. The Israelites forget the Lord and rebel against God. And this is followed by a time of oppression. They're oppressed because of their sin by external forces that God uses to lead them to repentance. They recognize their need and they cry out to God for help. And in response, God is gracious to them and he raises up deliverers, these judges. This book explores their stories. He works through these people to rescue the Israelites and bring peace. Until they forget God again, the judges cycle, they rebel against him and find themselves in that same mess. And so Samson, he's one of those leaders specially called and equipped by God to bring about their deliverance from foreign oppressors. So he comes into the picture when the Israelites are at a low point in the judges cycle, they're being oppressed. And if you ever went to Sunday school, you know the infamous bad guys of the Bible in the Old Testament. Who are they? Any kids out there? Who are the bad guys in the Old Testament? No brave children here this morning. You know it's the Philistines. Those Philistines, they can't leave the Israelites alone. And so who were the Philistines? They originally came from the region of the Aegean Sea, from the island of Crete. And around 1300 BC, they swept across the Mediterranean trying to conquer as much land as possible. And the people of Egypt, they thwarted the Egyptian armies, and so the Philistines headed back north and settled in Canaan. Do you know where the Philistine armies were kept when they were in Canaan? They kept their armies in their sleeves. Their armies in their sleeves. Oh man, what a good joke. Guys, I've been saving that one for this morning. Come on, give me something here. <laughs> I love that joke. Armies, sleeves. And so here are the people of Israel conquered by the Philistines. They're in despair and they cry out to God once again to come and help them, come and rescue us. And Samson is God's answer to that prayer. And so Samson, he's born through a miracle. In Judges chapter 13, his, stories be- his story begins, and it goes up through Judges chapter 16. In Judges 13, the angel of the Lord comes to Samson's mother, who is childless and sterile, and tells her, you're going to have a son. He'll be a Nazarite, a person set apart specially for service to God by living according to a set of vows representing his total commitment And so what were those Nazarite vows? Both men and women could take Nazarite vows. And for a man, those vows entailed abstaining from wine or anything else that came from grapes. No fermented drink, no vinegar. You couldn't cut your hair on your head. Um, Wouldn't have been a big challenge for me with that one. 
Though someone this morning did notice that I got a haircut, which hasn't been said to me in years. <laughs> and the vows also entailed not going near a dead body, whether that was a human or animal body. And so this angel tells her, your son, he will be a Nazarite. He'll be the one to set the people of Israel free from the Philistines. And so the time comes, the promise is fulfilled. This barren woman, Samson's mother, she gives birth to a son. And the text says that he grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. In the four chapters of his story, you see... The spirit stir in Samson in a very definitive way. If you know anything about his story, you know that when the spirit came to Samson, it empowered him with this freak strength to fulfill his call. And so we see that strength lived out in some really remarkable ways. Early in Samson's life, he's traveling with his parents through a vineyard. He's traveling with his parents, and this lion rushes at him at this moment. He's alone. And so he grabs this lion, and he wrestles it to the ground. Samson tears this thing apart with his bare hands. He just rips it apart. The text says he tore it apart as he would tear apart a young goat. I wonder if Samson made a habit of tearing apart young goats for that to be noted. Man, can you imagine that, just tearing apart a lion with your bare hands? This guy had some serious strength. In another story, he strikes down 30 Philistines, 30 people, all by himself. One time he's being detained by a group of Philistines and he's bound up with new strong ropes. New ropes were the most strong. And Samson, he just does this incredible Hulk move and busts out of these ropes. He picks up a donkey's jawbone off the ground and he strikes down 1,000 Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. Then he spouts off a little rhyme, as we would call it in the traditional service, or a rap, as we would call it in the 11 o'clock service. With a donkey's jawbone, I made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a 1,000 men. That's Samson's rap. He tosses the jawbone. Original mic drop right there. Samson. Samson was the inventor. He was the judge of Israel. He served as the leader of Israel for a period of 20 years. And one time during that period, he's in the city of Gaza, this Philistine city. As he's leaving, he rips down the city gates and carries them on his shoulders. Have you ever seen the incredible, uh, pardon me, the world's strongest man competitions? They carry these atlas stones, like eight feet, these heavy stones. Samson rips down the gates of the city of Gaza and carries them 38 miles to the top of a mountain. That is a feat of strength. You probably remember his most famous moment. He's captured by the Philistines. He's tied up between the two central pillars of their god, Dagon. He's tied up between those temple pillars. 3,000 people are in and on top of the temple. And in his final moments, in this one last time, the Spirit comes to him and Samson, equipped by God, pulls down those pillars and collapses the building, killing everyone inside. It's a tragic story. Samson's death, but his sacrifice single-handedly brought the people of Israel out from underneath those Philistine oppressors. It was a fulfillment of that work that the angel of the Lord told Samson's mother her son 
would be the one to accomplish before he was even born. So think about Samson's life as a whole. The man, he accomplished some absolutely amazing things as God empowered him. And Samson, he's always stuck out to me, and I'm sure many of you, as a biblical superhero of sorts. I mean, look at him. Look at this guy's strength. But we all know, when it comes to superheroes, they not only have strengths, they have some weaknesses. And a lot of those weaknesses are kind of silly. I mean, think about Superman. The guy can fly, he can lift anything, but he has an allergy to a rock that renders him absolutely helpless. Uh, You would think the comic book creators would be a little bit more... um, ingenious with their methods for bringing about these weaknesses in their lives, but I just don't think that's the case. Have you ever heard of the superhero, the Green Lantern? So this guy, he suffers from weakness induced by the color yellow. A yellow lamp I should have known. He's powerless. What a lame weakness. (laughs) How about Thor, the Greek god of comic book fame? Thor's weakness, if he lets go of his hammer for more than 60 seconds, he loses his God's status and turns back into a human named Don Blake. (laughs) Don Blake, poor guy. Wouldn't you love it if your name was Don Blake and you're named after, like, the weak guy that Thor becomes when he loses his powers? That'd be such a bummer. So Samson, what was his weakness? It kind of seems silly to me, honestly, at first glance when I read his story. It's having his hair cut. Oh no, a haircut. My strength is gone. Uh, But I think that if we really dig into his story, we'll see that more than being the cause of Samson's weakness, having his haircut was more an expression of his true weakness. And what was his true weakness? unfaithfulness to God. You heard those stories of his God-given strength, but Judges tells just as many stories of his weakness. So think back to when he tore apart that lion with his bare hands. What was Samson up to? He's walking through a vineyard. Walking through a vineyard, remember his vow to avoid anything related to grapes. Why was he walking through the vineyard? He's on his way to marry a Philistine woman that he's had his eye on in blatant disobedience to God's command not to intermarry with those idol-worshiping people. Samson, what are you doing? And so he killed that lion, then he passed back through there several days later, passes by that dead lion, and he notices some bees have made a hive in the lion's carcass. And what's in a beehive? Honey, yeah, Samson, in a moment of weakness, decides to put his taste for sweets above his vows to God. What's this guy thinking? What about that commitment he'd made to God? How about when he struck down those 30 Philistines all by himself? How about that one? What was Samson up to? That was following his seven-day wedding feast to the Philistine woman. And the Hebrew word for that wedding feast that we read in the book of Judges is literally interpreted into English drinking feast or little 500 in Indiana English. So remember, this guy's taking a vow not to touch any fermented drink. And here he is going on this five, this seven day binge. Samson, why'd he kill those men following his wedding feast? 
He killed them because he was mad that his new wife told those men in answer to a riddle he'd shared at the party, causing him to lose a bet and a large sum of property. Needless to say, that marriage didn't last long. And the city of Gaza, how about when he ripped down those gates and carried them on top of the mountain? What was Samson up to in Gaza? Samson was in Gaza shacking up with a prostitute. Hardly a character to emulate. He tore down those gates as he left the city as a way of taunting the Philistines and also a group of fellow Israelites who'd expressed their fear of the Philistines. So he was showing off to them, taunting those people who are also followers of God, as well as the Philistines, because of their fear. And then the big one, the Temple of Dagon. You probably remember how he ended up there. Samson ended up in the temple because the Philistines brought a woman to him, Delilah, who he simply couldn't resist. They used him as bait to capture him. She coaxed Samson into telling her the secret of his strength. He said it was his hair, an expression of his commitment to God, the God whose spirit empowered him. So the Philistines, while he was asleep, they came to him, they bound him up, and so they yelled out to Samson that someone was upon him, And Samson sprang to his feet, he awoke, and he tried to hulk out of those ropes again. But when he tried to, he had absolutely nothing. And what does the text say stopped him? It says Samson was so unaware of God's presence that he did not even know the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And so the Philistines gouged out his eyes They imprisoned him. They let him sit in that cell for a few days. They dragged him out and tied him up in the temple for entertainment. Ah, look at the hero. What strength. That's how Samson ended up in the temple of Dagon. And it was there in his final moments where Samson finally recognized the error of his ways. He turned back to God He cried out for help, and God in his faithfulness, just like with the people of Israel, repeating the same mistake over and over, God came to him and empowered him with that Holy Spirit one more time to liberate the people of Israel with that final act of strength. Samson's story, it's it's an incredible story, but it's also really sad when we look at it as a whole, isn't it? I mean, God empowered Samson to accomplish his will in some incredible ways when the Spirit came upon him. But when Samson got his hair cut, he was absolutely rendered helpless. But in that moment when he met his his demise, you and I both, we know it well. It wasn't the haircut that did Samson in. It was his unfaithfulness to God. And that was manifest in his character. We could see it in his actions so long before the haircut came. Samson's unfaithfulness to God, it marred his leadership. It harmed his witness, his example, and it brought his life to a premature end. So let's think together for a few moments here about what his life, what this story in the book of Judges means for us here today. First, let's think about the people of Israel. These folks, they were unfaithful to God over and over. Yet God continued to be faithful to them. They went through times 
of judgment, experiences of oppression that would have been incredibly difficult for them. There were times of challenge where they would have questioned whether or not God was with them, whether his promise would be fulfilled or not. Tough as those times were, the Israelites needed to go through them, though they certainly wouldn't have liked it. Those times, they were moments of discipline from God. Make no mistake, he allowed them to unfold for their own good, for the good of the people of Israel in order to wake them up to their disbelief in the way it was harming them and turn their hearts back to God. I want you to think about your own life, your own journey of faith. Are there patterns of sin that you could put a finger on in your life? What patterns of sin have kept you from living faithfully to God? Is it spiritual pride? Have you lived with a blindness to your own need for God out of a sense of confidence that you can live life on your own? You can manage it on your own. You're a good person. You don't really need God that much. You can pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you just keep striving for control. You can't help yourself from wanting to be in charge, from playing make-believe that you're God of your life rather than trusting and following the true God. Have you seen that pattern on display? I know there are times in my life where I have. One way that you might be able to put a finger on some of those patterns of sin, those things that are holding you back in living by faith in God, is by paying some extra attention to those areas in your life. Think about them right now where you feel like you just keep bumping up into a brick wall. The places where you're experiencing opposition or frustration or a sense of restlessness. Maybe God's trying to send you a message. Maybe he's trying to send you a message. Don't get me wrong. I certainly do not believe that every experience of hardship in our lives or opposition is God trying to get a hold of us that we might respond to unfaithfulness. It's God's judgment in response to our sin. That's certainly not what I'm saying. Read the book of Job, and that will quickly refute that idea. But I do want to say that I believe that God cares about his people enough to get our attention when we're not living rightly before him. He cares enough about us to discipline us. Because discipline is one of the primary ways that God gets a hold of us. At least that's been the case in my life. The author of Hebrews writes about that. Listen, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. Did you catch the basis for God's discipline there in our lives, his discipline in our lives? It's love. Through Christ, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, God's made a way for us to experience his love, to be adopted into his family as his own children. If we'll just simply trust Christ in faith. 
And our Heavenly Father, He loves us enough not just to save us from our brokenness, not just to unite us to Himself, but He loves us enough to build character inside of us that we might look like His children, that we might resemble His family members, that people will look at us and say, that's a child of God right there. He builds holiness in our lives through discipline. When those times come, let's be humble enough to admit our need. Each one of us needs to grow up. You need to grow up. Each and every single one of us will always have room to mature in Christ. I don't care how old you are. The nicest church lady in here, you've got room to grow in Christ. Bob, you've got a whole lot of room to grow in Christ, buddy. I knew I'd get you back for that tie thing at some point. <laughs> We've always got room to mature in Christ. One of the primary ways God grows us is through his discipline. Let's be humble enough to have faith, to trust him in those moments. Not to turn our back, not to pout, not to doubt his good work in our lives, but to trust him and know that he's working out our good even though it hurts. So how about Samson's story? What do we learn from him? This man, he was a leader called and equipped by God in a powerful way to accomplish his purposes. And God, he brought those purposes to fulfillment in Samson's life, didn't he? I mean, he liberated the people of Israel as a direct result of Samson's work in bringing judgment to them for their oppression, bringing down the temple in those times where the Spirit empowered him. But Samson, I mean, we look at his life and he made an absolute mess of his life so many times because of his sin, didn't he? I mean, how did he get so far off track? What was Samson's great error? I think Samson's great error is this. Caring a whole lot more about the gifts he'd been given by God than living in right relationship with the God who'd gifted him. He cared a lot more about what he could do as God empowered him than living in right relationship with God. I mean, his God-given strength, his God-given ability as a leader, it's so clear in his story. But instead of Samson recognizing all that he had as coming from God, instead of depending on him in faith, living humbly before him and following him. Samson was preoccupied with what he could do through his power, with his gifts. So he thought. And he chose to follow his own way. So there's a pretty tough lesson that his story communicates to each and every one of us. We had better not assume we're right with God personally, all because he's using us to accomplish his purposes. God may well use us in spite of our sin, like Samson, but he wants more for us than for us to simply accomplish some sort of divine checklist for our lives. He's made us for life and relationship with himself. By grace, God gives us the opportunity to live in right relationship, to know him and to follow him. 
And when we receive God's grace, we're invited into his mission. Don't get me wrong. God has a purpose for us. We're created in Christ for purposes that God's prepared in advance for us to do. What, a, what an energizing thing that is. And God gives us his spirit to equip us to make him known in the world in really unique and important ways. But don't get this wrong. Let's learn from Samson. We have got to get putting our relationship with God right first before anything else if we want to fulfill the calls that he has put on our lives. If we want to live a legacy that really counts, if we want to set an example worth emulating, we've got to put getting our relationship with God right first, humbling him, depending on him in faith. Man, that's a reminder that I need it's a reminder that hurts, but I know I need it. Maybe you do too. Let's put Christ first in our lives. Let's follow him in faith. He's full of grace for the whole Christian life. There's not a moment he'll turn his back on us. He'll give us all that we need to fulfill those calls. Let's follow him in faith. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it encourages us. We thank you for the way that it challenges us, God. The way that it speaks into our lives. The way that it corrects us when we get off track. God, you love us enough that you come to us with discipline. With discipline that you come to us and wake us up in those times that we turn our backs on you, God. God, we thank you that you, not for a moment, walk away from us, that you bring us back to yourself out of your great love for us. And we pray that you would give us faith to trust you, to humble ourselves, to recognize the depth of our need, God. We thank you that you've brought us into your family through faith in Christ. And God, you haven't left us to live this life by ourselves. You sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us our helper, our power to live lives that honor you, lives that serve you, God. So I pray that each and every follower of Christ here, that you would give us true strength by your Spirit to trust you, to obey you, and to follow you all of our days. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.